Welcome to the latest edition of the blah. greetings, Grapple fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Meltzer Five Star Project, the project within the Let Me Tell You Something overarching corporate structure in which myself, your Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Simon Cross, discuss a match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher, and we're in the higher category for this one. It's a five and a half star encounter. And today, we're going to be speaking the best way that I like to speak. And that's technically speaking. Because, Simon, what are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking a match that took place on October the 1st, 2023 in Seattle, Washington at AEW's Wrestle Dream event in honour of the late, great Antonio Inoki. And it is a technical dream match, one that has been like hyped up for many years one which was originally slated for forbidden door one but sadly injury got in the way and very nearly got in the way this time mercifully surgery came at the right time we are talking about uh zach saber jr taking on brian danielson a match that has happened before happened quite close to where you and i both lived at the time but neither of us were in attendance but the the previous time was in a small little leisure centre, I think, in Coventry. And now, as you say, we're in uh, Seattle. Both areas that came up with thriving musical subgenres. <laughs> yes. Scar versus Grunge. Who will win? Well, to be fair, we didn't. Coventry didn't invent Scar, but it popularised the two-tone Scar revival. And I'm getting pretty sick and tired of Scar music being used as a shorthand for jokes in comedians and films. The, the recent film Renfield, the Nick Cage as Dracula thing. Right. I had a real go at Scar music. And I was like, well, this film compared to the works of the specials is no the specials, my friend. <laughs> Don't watch that. Watch this. Or listen to that. Or watch this match. So yeah, this is a match that a lot of people have dreamed about for so long. It's funny how we've been saying, as this series has gone on, the influence that the Wrestling Observer and Meltzer and his five-star ratings have increasingly had on the... Not necessarily the... I guess the culture and also the conversation. That when Will Ospreay was making his entrance for his match with Shingo Takagi at the... Rev Pro 11th anniversary show, the announcer there was pointing out that on the Meltzer scale, they'd always gone over five stars. Mm. We've heard Kevin Kelly cite the star ratings in New Japan <laughs> shows. Yeah. With this one, they're not talking about the star ratings, but they are talking about the Wrestling Observer Best Technical Wrestler Award. That was awarded to Brian Danielson so many times during the 2000s that it got renamed the Brian Danielson Award. And then after Brian Danielson left for WWE, and as William Regal said, you've got to be willing to give up on wrestling 
to to a degree when you're in that promotion the mantle the award became a reg so often attributed to Zack Sabre Jr you got to think there was a chance that the name could have been the Brian Danielson Zack Sabre Jr award just as the I think the wrestler of the year award is called the Luthes Ric Flair award I might be wrong there it's a bit of a mouthful but we move well yeah there's fewer syllables though to be fair but, <laughs> and so that's really it's one of the instances I think where you can cite the Wrestling Observer and it working within kayfabe as well and it being that sense of this is a wrestling nerd's dream I mean it fits the term dream match and it fits the concept of this show which appears to be something that will be one of the annual events going forward as AEW looks to expand its pay-per-view portfolio I suppose oh, my poor bank balance and sense of like you know being well rested (laughs) yeah and genuinely one of the reasons behind our continuing teases to the changes in format for this but again that's for a later date but in the interim um i think this yeah this is a wrestling nerds dream come true in so many ways and i think as long as every wrestle dream has one of these sort of matches then the moniker will always fit. Yeah. This did feel like a dream match. It felt, And because it felt like a dream match, weirdly, I don't even know if this is a deterrence, but the lack of there being much of a storyline outside of these are two great technical wrestlers having a technical wrestling match didn't detract from this in any way as, as a sense of feeling no emotional connection to it. Like Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. themselves only shared a ring for, like, a stare-down at the end of Collision, I think. Yeah. With Zach having been on commentary. And all other times it had been them both commenting with the other one, often in a completely different continent. That they hadn't really shared the screen with each other much until this match. And so you're not getting... This is not Hangman Page winning the AEW world title after an 18-month storyline build-up or anything along those lines. This is... Just for the wrestling fan audience, essentially. But I also think if you came into this cold, not necessarily knowing, this is a great match for you to sort of understand what we mean by technical wrestling and the artistry of what wrestling can do. Uh, and that was—I I was super excited going in, and my my excitement wasn't wasn't—I uh, wasn't disappointed by the outcome. Yeah. How were your feelings going into this event, and how did you feel coming out of it, just briefly, before we go into the meat of the match itself? Uh, going into the match, I was I was same with the mindset. It was one of those where you could sort of get away with it, not, not having a storyline, because the storyline is sort of written with this, this kayfabe award thing, and like, who's better, Zach or Brian, um, at technical wrestling. And the fact that they've been kept so far apart and not really inhabited the same space sort of added to the allure. It's um, kind of like the Super Bowl where it's the AFC champ against the NFC champ. And for the over a large part of the time, they'll have not met that season. So it's like, okay, now we're going to see how these guys face against these guys. Irresistible force versus a movable object kind of sort of thing but <laughs> that wasn't 
That wasn't the, <laughs> the deft deflection you thought it was, Simon. Oh, do you know when you catch yourself in two minds and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> but do you get where I'm coming from, where it's, it's I hyped? Do. It's I mean, like, you know I'm... when for, uh, when they do Super Sunday and it's like... The it's the David Mitchell sketch. The Titans of Shrewsbury take on the uh, Colossus of Stoke, making them seem they... relatively normal sized. It's a little like that, but there's actual credibility behind it because you look at their body of work over the past ten to twenty years. In some cases, uh, mainly Brian's. There's the hype is real. Like we, be everyone yeah. believed the hype. In a weird way, the fact that they have faced each other before in a small setting made it feel more special because it's like that Zack Sabre Jr. and this Zack Sabre Jr. is a very different uh, I was going to say kettle of fish I suppose mm. whereas Danielson is probably still as great as he ever was Yeah, and so now Zack has reached that level I suppose it's like how um, yeah yeah it's, it's yeah that's that's how you would present it but it's, it's you know it's the difference between Okada's Young Lions version taking on Tanahashi to Okada's prime version when he comes back facing off against Tanahashi, except a much longer wait has happened in the uh, interim between those two moments. Exactly. Just to go back to your NFL question uh, thing, as you're the one that's knowledgeable about knowledgeable about it, and you mentioned the rare instance of me asking you about something. How often have there been Super Bowls where the two teams have played each other? in the regular season. Do you know if that's... I don't know the percentage off the top of my head, but it's not It's not a high percentage, to my knowledge. Let's um, not spend time Googling, because I don't want to spend time editing. <laughs> I will find out oh, I, I, off, off, off air. But um, to answer the second part of your question, how did I feel going out of the match? Again, I'm with you. I, I, I didn't leave with any sense of disappointment. In fact, I... I, I, it's weird. I, I go in now with dream matches with a sense of trepidation of like, can this be as much as the hype says it's going to be? So as much as it's a sense of enjoyment and um, excitement at the match, like watching it without knowing the result the next day, the initial viewing, it's a sense of like sheer naked relief. Once the match is finished, you're like, oh my God, this isn't going to, this isn't overhyped. This isn't me falling for the smoke and mirrors. This isn't me, you know, investing in the wrong thing. This isn't me feeling let down. And you, you do, the more you watch wrestling and the more hyped certain things get, and we do live in a, I've seen, especially with the growth of the internet, we live in a hype era. You do get let down a bit more. And I'm glad, I'm so glad this didn't happen in this particular case. There have been... Thanks to the AEW New Japan working relationship, a number of dream matches this year alone. I suppose the three most high-profile ones, well, four really, because one of them happened twice, have been the Kenny Omega against Will Ospreay matches. Yeah. And the Brian Danielson-Kazuchika Okada match. Mm. And now this match. And the last two sort of link in, don't they? Because Danielson's weak point... Became weak in that uh, um, in that match when was, was, who did the elbow drop? Was it Okada that did the elbow drop and broke? Okada his did the elbow drop and Danielson hadn't tucked his arm properly. And funnily enough, I think 
the exact same injury basically happened on this event to Mark Davis out of Aussie Open. Oh, that's why he's out. match against FTR. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be careful where you put that arm when someone's about to drop an elbow on you, I guess. Yeah. Although I suppose the worst injury that I can think of from a top rope elbow drop was when uh, Charles Robinson got a collapsed lung Ooh. from a Randy Savage elbow drop. But maybe that's just because that sounds a lot worse, <laughs> a collapsed lung. I mean, that's an internal organ. Like, you don't want those breaking. yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, aren't all the organs internal organs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're true. <laughs> Except for church organs, I suppose. Yeah. And my... No. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a tautology. It's like saying, oh, no, he knocked out one of his mouth teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's an Alan Partridge joke I could cite, but I can't know. I don't know the quote exactly enough to butcher it. There is a. There's also a horror film about teeth being somewhere else on a woman's anatomy. Oh yes. But, so, we're really going down some weird paths, even for us, as far as side avenues go. But I suppose it is because we don't have much to discuss outside of the match itself, and it's hard to discuss much of the match other than that was really good, wasn't it? Yeah. But what I what I liked <laughs> about this match in particular with the technical wrestling presentation is that oftentimes when people do technical wrestling and I even includes a lot of that world of sports stuff mm. it's always been very smooth it's always flowed quite easily to the point that it almost feels like there's less defense in the way that moves are applied yeah what i like about this match especially the first half where it is technical move for technical move hold for hold counter for counter there is no sense of it, ne- it. There's always a sense of it being a struggle. Yes. And that no one's ever able to apply a move fully or they have to shift and adapt as time goes on. Mm. When Danielson at one point applies the Indian death lock, Zach is immediately noticing that where Danielson's planting his hands are within his reachable distance. So he's swatting away at the hands to turn it around, to... to relieve some of the pressure yeah so as a result danielson stands up on him and then zack saber jr is able to shift the momentum get on top of him and then they're rolling around and suddenly they're in like that leg clutch hold that's often in those lucha libre style of of technical wrestling you get so often that definitely has more of a like a a choreographed nature to it Mm. like those knuckle locks when you see it and sometimes Rey Mysterio will do it with another wrestler who's a bit of a lucha nerd and they're just doing the same sequence that he does with Eddie Guerrero where the counter is what you always expect and there's no real resistance to it at any point yeah each of them are flowing with it and that is the nature of lucha libre that's not necessarily criticism that's an observation that there's always been that sense of it's looser and they accept the terms of battle almost yeah that when they when they run the ropes I've said sometimes the other guy will slap the back of the guy running as a sign of, okay, let's do it, like engaging. That's the equivalent of both sides agreeing to engage in a lockup when a match starts. And again, in this match, what I love with the lockups, and it only happens a couple of times, is is Zach and Danielson both immediately start working to do something, and they don't go into the necessarily the conventional means that it nearly always goes of applying a headlock. Yeah. It becomes Zach targets, as will be the, the story throughout the match, he'll go to the left arm almost immediately. That the 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 left arm that's clutching onto the the elbow of Danielson's right arm 
he like evades that. He slips it under and then goes straight to Danielson's left arm to go into a wrist lock or an arm or an arm ringer or whatever else. Yes. That there's it's a perpetual motion. It's constant. It's moving, and that's always fitting with the way that Zack Saber Junior. does it. In that he doesn't really have a conventional finishing hold. He will just shift the weight of his hold and try and see. Oh, there's a limb on loose there, so I'll just turn that into a bit of a half crab. I'll have that one as well. Yeah. Whilst I'm doing, and Danielson does that too, but that's more Zack Saber Junior.'s forte. And ultimately, the story of the match seems to be that Zack Saber Junior. is the better technical wrestler on the night, but Danielson's versatility. And maybe desperation because of his wounded arm means that he has to switch to his strikes and he has to go for his alternative means. But what we'd already seen from Danielson only a few weeks earlier in his other five-star match against Ricky Starks is that Danielson can do it all. He can brawl, he can fly, yeah. you know, he can do the brawl with the weapons and then he can immediately, two weeks later, well, it's not immediate if it's two weeks, but two weeks later he can switch to a technical style and at least engage maybe the better technical wrestler at their game as much as possible. And ultimately, those injury that injury that's outstanding that, Daniel, that Zack Sabre was clearly targeting from the start. Yeah. But it's not like... Um, and Moxley says this um, on commentary, and we'll talk more specifically about Moxley's commentary at some point later in this episode. But he sets the table really well for the audience at home because he's like well yeah Zach's the more aggressive technical wrestler we know that but Brian's reactive he's a counter technical wrestler he he likes to get into holds because he wants to work his way out of them and so the story goes it's a counter move which really opens up Brian's technical wrestling showcase in this match and has creates a weak point for Zach when he like I think it's either a sweep or a big kick to Zach's leg and then from there, it's dragon screws, it's it's further death locks, it's half crabs. And in in many ways, like counter punching in like boxing or counter striking in any um, combat sport, that's sort of more revered because that it's not only about having the power and the speed, it's about having the brain to read the uh, situation and apply things accordingly with like supreme timing. And I don't know if I'm, like, doing a English teacher here and just, like, reading more into what story they were telling than there was there. I would say, for a start, you would be doing an English teacher. <laughs> I'd like to say I baited you with that, but that was that was accidental. <laughs> there is plenty of baiting in this match, giving out arms and things like that to entice your opponents, or in the case with Zack Sabre Jr., baiting Danielson into that strike-off by using his right weakened... Well, obviously, Brian was going with his left forearm for the forearm off whilst Zach was going with his right. And they pointed out in commentary, and then just suddenly, Zach baits Danielson's manhood by saying, go with the right, and then automatically Danielson's in pain, and then throughout the rest of the match, that is Zach's regular go-to, is going back to that wrist and that arm. Yeah, he's... Let's go back to your English teacher. Yeah. It's it's just my point of like the younger guy having like, I don't know, the extra athletic gifts or the extra like tactical speed or that, that youthful aggression. But it's the older, smarter, wiser head who's like been through it all more. Who's like the counter guy. He, he's the one that holds weights for the, 
an errant um, manoeuvre or a wide strike or a, a trailing limb to grab. And I think that's what they really wanted to tell. And on top of that, as you mentioned, Brian has a versatility, which uh, Zack Sabre Jr., as a technical purist, which he sort of models himself as, sort of handicaps himself with, yeah, yes, you're the best at that. Mm-mm. But he's the best at everything. <laughs> Zack Sabre Jr. is the latter years Arsene Wenger Arsenal of pro wrestling. The problem is he wants to walk it into the net. Are you, are you comparing Daniel Bryan to Ryan Shawcross? <laughs> In many ways I am. Right, okay. But Brian Danielson, more so. Yeah. Um, non. No, no, actually, Brian Danielson, I think it's more. he's more Pep Guardiola. Because Pep will adapt to the situation a bit more. Yeah. Or Unai Emery, perhaps. Maybe. Ah, look at him. Look at him. Look at him smile with that. Lorcan's Aston Villa colours coming through there. Uh, Pre-recording my comments about the current state of the England team and my reluctance to fully enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Spite is a powerful emotion. As it shows in this match. As it does, Simon. Look at you <laughs> linking things like a link of sausages in a German factory. <laughs> although this is although this is a battle of two vegans, I believe. So uh, I wouldn't no. appreciate that suggestion. I think for dietary reasons, Brian, uh, Brian couldn't continue doing it. Um, uh, yeah, another example of 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 uh, Zack Sabre Junior being more of the purist out of the two of them. Oh, there you go. See, it bleeds through. It bleeds through. But that's so often the story of Zack Sabre Jr. in so many of his matches is that what undoes him is that he'll get too overconfident with his technical styles and then Billy Big Bollocks, mouthy bloke outside of a pub attitude leads to him engaging in strike matches that he very rarely wins. Yeah. What works with this one, though, is that there's actual, there's actual reason method behind the madness because he is exposing Danielson's weakness and leaping on it. And really testing it to see... How bad is it? Because he never really got targeted by Ricky Starks, but now Zach tests it and immediately sees the opening and he's, you know, a shark, shark in the water when blood is... Well, Starks' Starks's trap was the strap. Um, and once that didn't work, like Starks tried to hang with Brian because Starks isn't a cowardly heel, he's a cocky heel. But whereas Zach's not cowardly, he is cocky. And it, well, I don't think Zach cheats once in this whole match, but it's just through him being the away player and his general yeah. dickhead outside of a pub energy. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, in a post-match promo, which I can't remember if it aired on Dynamite or the next, the following collision, uh, but it aired within seven days of this match. He's like, well, I'm still the best technical wrestler because I, I didn't get tapped out. I got pinned so that doesn't really count (laughs) i thought that was an interesting point that nigel said and i caught it even more so in the second time of watching it the first time of watching it nigel and john moxley's commentary bothered me more than it did the second time the second time i more went with it because i don't really like it i i guess if ultimately a match does come out of it then i'm okay with nigel going so far with his anti-Danielson hatred mm. but I don't know that that, that is ever going to happen so it almost feels quite redundant to the, after all this baiting futile maybe yeah. more than redundant 
Yeah, yeah. It's like, don't tease me with rock rains if you're not going to give me rock rains. Yeah. That's what I would say. And I see you, Heyman, chatting to his daughter. Anyway, what I wanted to say was... Uh, uh, what did I want to say? Fuck. Yeah, um, Nigel, at one point when Danielson gets the ropes to break one of the holds that Zach's got him in, and it's with his legs as well because both of his arms are incapacitated. Yeah. He says, what a coward, and this proves that Zach's the better technical wrestler. One point earlier in the match, Zach does also go to the ropes. And I wonder if that was deliberate and they always wanted to play up. Yeah. Like, you don't they just subtly play these things i like when there's subtlety sometimes it's so subtle maybe the announcers don't even recognize it themselves Mm. for example towards the end of the match where zach starts giving danielson the kick treatment he's doing it with his right leg and he's always after each kick just like like kicking away like trying to take out some of the pain that's still on his left leg. yeah trying to shake it off basically yeah, when Danielson does get to hit the first of the two Psycho knees that get him to win the match. It's funny because it comes after he's hit the regal plex after a technical, you know, moving all around, going into all these different submissions and counters, and then him just surprising him with the regal plex. But uh, this is how I'm reading it. If you see it, his arms aren't strong enough that he could clasp them into a bridge. Yeah. So he can't give the full... It becomes like the Tazplex version of a Regal Plex, where it's all no bridge, all impacts. Because that's all he can go. He's got to try and knock, da- knock Zack Sabre out. And so he can't do the technical version of the move, but he can do the bludgeoning force version of the hold. Yeah. And da- so Zack Sabre Jr.'s head's all loopy at that point. And then when he tries to get back to his feet, his knee just buckles ever so slightly. And so it's like that split second is long enough for Danielson to be able to charge and hit the Psycho knee without Zach being able to come up with an evasive counter to yeah. it. And, that, and whilst Zach's able to kick out at, at three, uh, two and three quarters or whatever, he's not quite able to get up in time. He's hurt enough that Danielson gets to hit the second time. And it's almost quite anticlimactic in, in a weird way. The way that 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 finish is done, that it's not some big long trading of big moves, but that was never really Mm. what a true technical wrestling match would necessarily be. And I think that they've deliberately left a certain, again, it's like the politics of these sort of things. So you've got to have it that Osprey wins with the screwdriver, but it's not the screwdriver that leads to the final fall. Yeah. It's all these elements of the politics of display. And so with this one, it is the story throughout it all that Zach does get the moral victory whilst Danielson gets the victory victory. Yeah. And similarly with this one, it is like um, a semi-fluke win. And they also give Zack Sabre the get not the get out, but the extra plus that he was able to kick out of the first Busaiko. Yeah. He's got that protection of obviously the fact that it took two. And if you broadly look at the match, if it was being scored on technical points... You could mm. argue his scorecard was ahead. Are you saying that Zack Sabre Jr.'s XG will be higher than Danielson's uh, in the post-match analysis? Yeah. possession stats. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but obviously... Shots on target. Yeah, but like with football, one metric alone counts and that's who gets the result. And that's something they play up in the commentary as well. They say you just need to be better than the other man for three seconds. Yeah. Because Danielson, I was looking at it, and really from the point 
that um, there's a point sort of towards the end of the match where Danielson really just stops. Yeah, when yeah when Zack Sabre Jr. gets him into like the figure four Indian Deathlock. Yeah, and they've just been doing all those those battles in the match, and they were fighting, and, and Zack's got him in like a. a a leg lock and they're taunting each other face to face but Zack has the technical advantage on Danielson and he's able to manipulate it and Danielson can't hide the discomfort that he's in but at that point he engages in the he engages Zack mentally and then it yeah. becomes the slap off and Zack hits him with four slaps and then Danielson just hits him with one and yeah. that's enough to knock Zack Sabre down I was going to say is that the bit where he spits at him first yeah that is the part where he's spitting at him too so he's really tried to get him off his game because on the technical front, he knows he's beaten. So he needs to bring more emotion into it and it'd be more about the force of blows. So he's hitting him with slaps. Then when they're in the um, the backslide off, which I've never seen it presented like this before. They've got one arm locked and the other arm is just engaged in an elbow battle. Yeah, And then D- Zach ter- is able to win that. And I love that Zach's got it all set up as well so that he knows when... Danielson kicks out. He'll be in perfect position for Zach to then do the penalty kick to his arm. So he's like, he's got it ready for when he does the kick out. He knows what to do next. And the follow through on that, that looked vicious. That was a great visual. And so in this final period, it is like Danielson's really in trouble. And when it's on the mat, Zach's got him in the Omo Plata. He's the one that's able to apply the submission hold. Danielson tries to do it that won him the match against Okada, and it's Zack Sabre Jr. that gets to apply it. Yeah, and quick aside, quick aside, when he's in the Omoplata, John Moxley, I honestly, I adored him on commentary personally. I, I think he really added something to it. When he just stands up, covers the mic, because he doesn't want to get fined again, and just yells, fuck that guy! Well, I looked at it, it's not that he covers the mic, he puts it around his neck, so he figures, ah, the mic won't be able to catch me from here. It's like, your voice is very loud, and that mic is of professional quality. <laughs> it's going to catch it. Uh, Excalibur does say to him, "Is like uh, one. I think it was one point earlier, he covers the microphone and then swears. And Excalibur, uh, he goes, oh, I avoided it that time. And then I can't remember if it's Excalibur or JR, but they go, you know, we've got mics, right? <laughs> <laughs> it did work for the most part. What I thought was funny as well was that Zach was the, on commentary... Nigel was always trying to bait Moxley, and Moxley wasn't really taking the bait. He basically agreed with every yeah. trollish <laughs> remark. And again, I, I think sometimes it was especially more prevalent, I think, actually, in the Wheeler Utah match. There was a lot of talking over each other. Mm. And you realize that there is like this synchronization between the usual announcers that they know who's going to lead it. And then when someone comes out who's of a less experience they'll very often talk when they shouldn't be talking because they don't know that there's like... The yeah. worst ex- worst example of that I remember was when the Dudley boys made their return and it had been after a match where it was the New Day, I think, against the Luch Dragons and the primetime players were on commentary and just throughout the whole bit where Michael Cole and JBL are trying to reel off all of the Dudley boys' achievements, why this is such a huge deal and the crowd's going ape shit as well. Titus is just talking over everything. <laughs> and it's like, I can't... It's just too much of everything going on. It's ironic, because Titus, um, every now and again now, chips in uh, with commentary. And he's he's actually quite funny in small doses. 
Well, maybe, but maybe at that point he's maybe got a bollocking of a lifetime after this. Not the bollocking of his lifetime. The only the bollocking of his lifetime, yeah, that's true. But, <laughs> actually, it was it was Titus that was not being civil in that situation. <laughs> you don't talk over people, Simon. Oh, you that don't situation. Talk, you don't talk over people. <laughs> if necessary, employ some sort of conch system. And stick to it. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I did enjoy it, though. I, I think it's funny that Mox is such this great promo, but he does seem to... I don't think he's one of those guys that's going to go into commentary. That his strengths don't lie there, necessarily. Whereas other guys like Jesse Ventura, more recently Bad News Barrett, mm-hmm. JBL, actually, and especially the first run of JBL, not his return. Yeah, JBL's Tat- first run. Yeah. Yes. And Taz as well, of course. They will do it. I can't see Mox being a a color commentary. Guy. Not n- but not every week. But you know no. what? A couple of guest spots from uh, wouldn't I'd enjoy that. It will have to be in a pay per view environment. Yeah. I believe. <laughs> Although, again, just like how about eighteen months ago, everyone was shitting up a storm. Suddenly, the f words becoming <laughs> more regular occurrence. Yeah. I do like that bit where uh, Brian goes, it's time to kick his fucking head in. And, yeah. and Moxa goes, I'll spot you that one. <laughs> Put it on my tab. <laughs> so it's it's just, I like a, my key points are, I like that it's a struggle. There's moments when it's almost like Pancrate style and they even give a little Volcan shout out as well yeah. uh, of the rings variety. And the, the strategy's there without it being over the top. And also, one last thing I want to point out. When Danielson hits that second dragon screw, and every, it gets a reaction from everyone. Like, JR in commentary goes crazy for it. The fans go crazy for it. Because they do it, like, slower. Yeah. Weirdly, because they do it slower. And Zach sell Like, Danielson plays, like, the, the full force behind it. And Zach similarly falls off of it better and slower. And, like, it's a more... There's an agonized shout in it. And it's just one of those things that just shows. And it's I'm sounding like such an old man in saying, but I remember Danielson saying it. It's not doing the crazy moves that gets the crowd mm. really going crazy. It's you doing a move fantastically well. That it's the execution. That if, and that's why Bret Hart is still revered to this day because every and he's the guy that Stevie Richards always points to in his videos because he makes everything that he does always looks good. So. Yep. Danielson doing that dragon screw leg whip is every bit as impressive as any kind of sky twister press that you Ray Phoenixes can do. And I'm not having a go at them for that. It's just, it's a point that, you know, all those reverse Ranas <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> I knew you'd get something in it about the reverse Ranas there. But like, if that's how Danielson does his dragon screw leg whips, everyone will always love them. And that's how Tanahashi does them as well. And it's like, to this day, people still love seeing a Ricky Steamboat arm drag. They love seeing Kazuchika Okada drop kick. It's doing the fundamentals right. I'll tell you what was the, what was brilliant as well. Like, there's a fantastic moment in this match where Zack Sabre Jr. does a drop toe hold to a running Danielson. Charging drop kick, but followed up with a drop toe hold. That's it. Danielson goes, tries to do a charging drop kick, but Zack Sabre turned into a drop toe hold. And that wasn't even the best drop toe hold on the night. Because in the match earlier, Swerve Strickland did a drop toe hold out of a hangman buckshot lariat. A drop toe hold can get people going crazy if you do it right. 
Especially if it's Raven doing it and you're landing on a steel chair. Yeah, it's um, it's weird how like doing the small things well makes all the difference. AJ Styles did say it's about the little things. So, I mean, with the dragon screw, it, it's about how you do it, like you say. It's it's about it's it's not about being silly and ridiculous all the time. It's just about telling a good competitive story. It's like my favourite Zack Sabre Jr. move, and he does do it in that match, is his European clutch roll-up. Oh, yeah. Where he's, he, ba- he basically always baits his opponent to try and do a roll-back because of the way that Zack's got his arms and his shoulders. And Zack knows that that's what's going to happen, then traps the legs. And this that was one of the moments where I was like, if this was the New Japan show, they would have known how to film that better. Mm. I do wonder... Would this have been an even better match? Or would this have been a match that would have been allowed to go longer and be even more realistic, less showy? Because they do do showy elements for this crowd. This crowd is great. And I feel like the crowd knows we're watching a technical match, dream match. So we need to be the respectful audience for a technical match. Yeah. And that's what AEW was cultivated. But I wonder if even more in the New Japan atmosphere, and as they say in the commentary, this match is really echoing that Antonio Inoki-Billy Robinson match that we previously covered for Match of the Week. Yes. As that sense of it being as much technical exhibition of the best practitioners of the quote-unquote sport in the world, that maybe this would have done even better in Japan. I think we'll find out come first weekend of January how well it does in Japan. I assume Danielson's turning up to Wrestle Kingdom and I am interested to see who they want him to return the favour to. Do they want him to return the favour to Okada, who obviously is not part of the world title main event picture and maybe doesn't necessarily have a young, a returning young lion, uh, returning learning excursion youngster that's got quite close enough to his lawn for him to want to wrestle them at Wrestle Kingdom. Or is it going to be Zack Sabre Jr.? I feel like the Zack Sabre Jr. match will work better in a smaller venue like a sumo hall. Or a copper box arena at a Royal Quest 4 if that's the way they want to go. And maybe... But but again, with Danielson, it's like we've only got so long left. Yeah. So this can work as a standalone match. But I do think that they would like to, in an ideal world, do a rematch. But I would lean more towards... I think we'll get Okada Danielson too. You are, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. We've got to get the most out of him whilst we've oh. got him. And we've got to appreciate him whilst we have him as well. But at least we got this match. And that, yeah. And we got, we did get this at last. On the ratings front, I would either go four and three quarters to five. So it's not my favourite match of the year so far. I do feel like maybe a little bit was being held back. This is the only match that they have. Uh, of this era of both men's careers, I'm fine with that. And if someone says it's five stars, I have no problem with this. If they say they think it's five and a half stars, I've got more of a problem with it. But we're not going to get into that. (laughs) That's for another day. And previous episodes as well. Where I land with it is... I am going five. Um, I, I think the reason for me for going five... And this is sort of a contradiction of terms uh, to to some of the fives I've given. Is this match, I, I often say for a match to really hook you and to have that X factor, it's got to have like the story attached to it. And this does, but it's not a story they told through promos or video packages. 
this this we're in a sort of um, statistical anomaly or a storytelling anomaly where through um, fan forums, through wrestling awards, through well, this this narrative has been built without them ever touching, without them ever like interacting, and as a result, it's 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 the simplest story ever told of like which man is the better at this Hmm. really the only story that comes into it i suppose is danielson's injured wrist yeah yeah but you just get that through the selling it's it's a it's one of the more easily self-contained matches you could show someone and i think like if there are certain matches that just if you want to just give them something without needing to tell them a load about elaborate backstory or anything this could be one this could be the one to show them for technical wrestling because it's not too long yeah it's it's not too difficult to understand. It's not too self-indulgent either. Yeah, yeah. It's only 22 and a half minutes, I think. Yeah. And there's, I mean, I could definitely see Danielson maybe wanting to do that three-hour match that he's always wanted to do. <laughs> that Zack Sabre Jr. would be one of the guys to do it with. Yeah. I hope we don't get that, but I wouldn't be against a 45-minute technical display in a maybe smaller crowd and a less high profile setting mm. maybe whilst they're both still physically able to go because i can see both men i mean danielson saying he's gonna sort of semi-retire but i could definitely see a version of danielson that once birdie and his uh, son have gone to college he's gonna do a johnny saint and start traveling around again on the more technical side of things and maybe at that point, a 49-year-old, 52-year-old Zack Sabre Jr. will similarly want to mm. lock up again. I wouldn't put that out of the realm of possibility for those two. <laughs> I do, yeah, I do love yeah, I do love this match. And like I say, it's either four and three quarters or five for me. Yeah, And I do think it'll be one of those ones. I think, because I was wondering, like, what are those matches you would show people to get them into wrestling? To get them into technical wrestling, this might be a great example. Maybe this or a Bret Hart Mr. Perfect match. Yeah. It's more of an acquired taste, like giving them like the Inoki Billy Robinson match. Yeah, it's like if you want to show them a wild brawl, you've got Samoa Joe against the Necro Butcher or that um, Atsushi Onita Texas Death Match <laughs> that I showed you. Carnage. Or to get them into the more high, the the spectacle of wrestling or the fast paced, high spot nature of wrestling, maybe give them something from PWG or like Will Ospreay against Ricochet or something along those lines. Mm. I think this could be like your default. You know, for ages, what Regal would always say, watch this match between Marty Jones and I can't quite remember the guy's name off the top of my head, bald headed fellow. Um, He says, this is technical wrestling. Yeah. Maybe this would be another match to go to going forward. Quite possibly. I, I believe so. Def- definitely. But that's just my opinion, of course. But as a couple of mouthy British guys talking about a mouthy British wrestler keeping alive the spirit of this style of British wrestling, that's another thing. If there's one match that I wish that they could have reached a deal and allowed William Regal to come back and do commentary, that could have been a great one. This could have been a great one to do. Yeah, but we can't have everything. And he might have just spent the whole match just shamelessly flirting with Excalibur. I mean, who wouldn't? Well, John Moxley didn't, but I don't know. Wow. Maybe it's because Rene was too close. <laughs> That's to quite possibly it. <laughs> but we'll be talking about the mouthy British wrestling fan, won't we, Simon, for our next episode, assuming no five stars in the intro? Yes, yeah. We, uh... At the time of recording, we haven't seen the rating that was given to the Zack Sabre Jr. Will Ospreay. British match, so that could very easily also be what we're doing next week. Yeah. But 
card subject to if change, not. as always. But if not... Yeah, if not, we're going very introspective, uh, looking at uh, the British fan, the British uh, attitude to wrestling, how British people like observe and consume wrestling. Just, just all things Britannia. A, a, a touch of self-indulgence, perhaps, but... As... From two podcasters. Ah, never. Um, but no, considering what, how our experience can sometimes differ from what we perceive as a typical fan, we felt it was a topic worth exploring. So you'll hear our thoughts on it either this week or uh, no, at some point in the future. But until then, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you with more recommendations of technical wrestling matches... How can they do so? They can get in touch with me on Twitter. I am so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of vertebrae that Zack Sabre Jr. wanted to snap in Daniel Bryan after, of course, breaking all his arms and legs. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N for the A-N at the start of Ankle, which is something you do not want to be exposed to either of these two men if they're within reaching distance of it. Uh, that's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, if we put it at gmail.com. At the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing enough to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five and a half star time. Until the next time. Tengo asunto a resolver, problema por doquier, el perfume de tu piel y tu mirada. Me dejan estar bien, caigo en tus labios de miel, me tienen matándome. Ella me muerde como un rec, una Barbie sin su Ken, un humano y un alien. Ay, me siento en Star Trek, on my head, so what the fuck. Tiene un veneno infernal, uñas de tira y no dejes. Ella quiere hacerme el mal. Yo disparo, me disculpo, luego boom boom. Ojo te plata, no es cero, boom boom. Entonces lo que tiene yo lo quiero. Ella más valiosa que el dinero, boom boom. Me da poder, no soy humano, mmm. Luceo abajo de ese pantano, glu glu. Corro con los ojos tapados, así, matando.